You're listening to the Cape Friends Community Church podcast recorded January 11th, 2016. Why Jesus? Well, hello and welcome to the podcast. It's a new year. It's 2016, so that means a new series. Today, uh, we're starting our series Why Jesus. Uh, this week I read a USA Today article and it was highlighting some research done by Pew Research. They're the, those people who they research everything. They put, put statistics and numbers to anything you can think of. And one of the things they have researched is the way people view religion. And what they discovered is that 55% of millennials, now millennials are those people, um, born between 1980 and 1999, only 55% responded positively about their perception of religious institutions. That means 45% of millennials have a negative view of institutional um, religions, which is down 18% from a study done six years ago. Meanwhile, in that study, what they also found was that almost 70% of baby boomers have a positive view of religious institutions. So you can see that younger generations have a negative view when it comes to religious institutions. Now, I am a pastor. I work in the church. I am called to um, lead the church, um, and God has gifted me. God has... Um, equipped me to do that and I feel very blessed and fortunate to do that and I and I do it because I love the church and um, I hate saying it this way but I'm part of the institutional church now when I refer to church I'm not talking about walls and carpet and pews and and buildings but I'm talking about the people of God now I don't know when they did this research what people have in mind when they uh think about the institutional church, whether they think of people or whether they think of buildings or systems. Um, But when I think of the church, I think of the people of God, you know, and I, and I also can understand why people might have a negative view um, of the church. Uh, When you think of what's gone on in the Catholic church and the scandals and cover up, um, there's also been the very public moral failure of some very predominant Christian leaders as well as often I in the in the media, the church is portrayed um, as people who are against something or or crazies, um, and and so I can see how younger generations this would affect their view, their perception of the institutional church. But when I read these statistics, I also think it might be a way of God calling His church to return to Him, to return to Jesus. Um, and I'm reminded of a story um, that I that I heard about a young Quaker girl in the 1850s. Now, Quakers uh, back in the day, they used to dress very plainly. They would often wear lots of grays and muted tones um, because they didn't want their dress to be a distraction. And, uh, you know, there's still some Quakers who, who do that. But for the most part, you know, Quakers um, dress like everybody else, we wear normal clothes and jeans and uh, plaid colored shirts and whatnot. But um, but back in the day, Quakers used to dress very, very plainly. And there's this young girl um, 
who at school all her friends wore bright bright colored dresses they they had bright colors on and she so desperately wanted to wear bright colors she so desperately wanted to wear the dresses and fashion that her her friends at school were wearing well one day her and her mother were going into town and they're dressed in their traditional quaker garb and as they're walking the streets um in an alley, a woman whispered at them, Hey, over here. And they look over, and there's this African-American woman and her daughter, and you, it was very clear to them that they were hiding, that they were scared and they were fearful. And they can see that, that this woman and her daughter had not eaten, um, and, and their clothes were dirty and tattered. And so they, they went over to them, and they took them home with them. And as they talked to them, they, they found out that they were runaway slaves. They were part of the Underground Railroad um, trying to get to freedom. And the mother asked, why did you stop us? Like, why, why, why did you want our attention? Why did you think we could help you? And what she said was that, well, I had been hiding for three days and I was looking for people who were dressed in plain clothes because I had heard that the Quakers were part of helping us um, get to freedom. And so I had been hiding for three days looking for somebody in plain clothes. Then you and your daughter came along and I knew you could help me. You know, I think oftentimes that we as Christians, we don't necessarily have that identifying mark. The church doesn't necessarily have that identifying mark. And it's not necessarily, it's not because of the clothes we wear, but it's because maybe we don't actually really live out the convictions um, of Jesus. We don't actually really live out lives that reflect Christ because I I believe if we live lives that reflected Christ more people would be whispering to us in alleys wanting our attention why is your life like this you see what that woman understood was that Quakers were known for something they were known for their convictions they were known for how their convictions influenced their thoughts um, and what they believed about humankind and so when I hear these statistics about the church, I wonder if God is calling us back to Jesus. I wonder if it's a sign maybe we've kind of wandered a little bit. and Maybe we need to, to, to look at Jesus more carefully. So if you have your Bibles uh, with you, turn over to John chapter 1, starting uh, in verse 1. And so before, we, before I read that, I want to read um, from... We're, I'm part of a friend's church, and I, I just want to read to you um, what is in our faith and practice. That's basically what we, um, convictions that we hold, what we believe about Jesus. And, and this is what it says in our faith and practice about what we believe about Jesus. It says this, We believe that God's gift of his Son is the only and all-sufficient way we can be saved from the guilt of power and eternal consequences of our sin and restored to a full relationship with him we believe we receive the salvation only through our repentance and faith in the atoning death and bodily resurrection of jesus christ that's what we believe we believe that we are saved 
through Jesus and Jesus alone. And that is a bold statement to make in this day and age. That's a bold statement because we say it's only through Jesus in which we have life. And I want to get into that today. I want to get into I want to get into that today. So John chapter 1 starting in verse 1. This is what it says. We're going to read all the way through verse 14. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. Verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who didn't, did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now there's this phrase that's repeated, or actually more specifically this word that is repeated, and that word is word, right? In the beginning was the word. What is the word? Now John uh, many believe that he's probably writing to a Greek audience. And so we have to look at that, the Greek meaning for that word. What, what does he mean? What were the original readers when they read that word, word? How did they interpret that? What did they see that as? And so that, that the meaning for that, the word, word, I know that's confusing. The word, word is this. It's simply the universal law and principle in which ordered the world. So we could read it, in the beginning was the universal law and principle in which ordered the world. Are you with me? So think about the world that we live in. It's an ordered world, isn't it? We have gravity, which holds us down to the earth. We have air so that we can breathe, and it gets much more complicated from there. There's the sun, the moon, the stars, and if we were any closer to the sun, we'd burn up any further away. It'd be too cold. The moon is just the right size, and we, and there's m- numerous stars and galaxies in the sky. So there's order there, but then when you look at to a more human existence, we have peace and connection and love and adrenaline and all these things work together and one of the things that we as humans do and it's built into our very dna is that we like to bring things to order 
and and I know this is true. Isn't it? Isn't it true of you when you're sitting at when you're working? You work much better when you're sitting at a clean desk, right? If you have papers stacked high and it's disorganized, it's tough to work. It's tough to focus. And in fact, when we look at in the book of Genesis, the very role that God gives humans is to bring order, right? In Genesis 2 verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The man is to work the garden. He's to put order to it. Now, I live here in the northern, northern part of California, and it's mostly farm country up here, and our biggest crop uh, up here is almonds or almonds, but we say almonds up here. And, And when farmers farm, they farm in a very specific way. They only put light trees together. Now, Oftentimes in an orchard, there might be different varieties of almonds, but they very specifically line up each variety in certain rows so that when they harvest them, the nuts don't get mixed up. Now, also part of farming is you put light crops together. You don't plant an almond tree, then a walnut tree, then a prune tree, all in the same orchard. They're all grouped together. There's order. And in fact, farmers have spent years and generations developing new farming techniques so that they can produce as much as possible and and so that the trees work to their maximum capacity. There is a specific order to farming and 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 it's very up here, it's very clear you and it's amazing how precise farmers are. When I was in college, I studied music. I have a a degree in tuba performance. And when you think about music, music is taking various pitches and tones and rhythms and organizing them together to produce a sound that is pleasing to the ear, right? Music is essentially the organization is bringing order to sounds and pitches to make something that is pleasing, Or think of business. Business is simply taking skills developed to produce a product or service to help someone else. And then that person then in turn makes money to pay for goods and services that they are unable to do themselves. So business, when it is done right, is a way of organizing to ensure that people have what they need. We are all tending gardens. We are all gardeners. We are all bringing order to the things around us, right? We have families. There's politics. There's schools and churches and finances and farming and business and education. All of these things are ways of bringing order to life. Now, if you look back in verse 4, it says this. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. What this scripture is saying is that Jesus is life. Jesus is the order in which we all seek and desire. Because it doesn't matter 
um, who you are. You, we are all seeking order, whether you're a Christian, a non-Christian, no matter who you are, we are all seeking order. Now, what this scripture is claiming is that Jesus is the order in which we all seek, in which we all desire. But we know that there's a problem. We have all sorts of ways of attempting to bring order. And in fact, that is what we are called to do, right? Tend the garden. However, what happens when, what happens when we tend the garden apart from God? What happens when we come up with our own ways to try to tend the garden? What happens when we come up with our own ways to try to make peace? And so you can look at, here's some of just the big problems of the world, right? We have wars, right? There's wars going on all over the world, right? If we just eliminate these people and these ideologies, then we will have peace. Or we have corrupt governments. We have corrupt business practices. We have broken relationships. There is abuse, broken families. And then within this world, there are many faiths and philosophical ideas about how to deal with these problems. And I think one of the most predominant um, ways that we tend to deal with the problems of living in a disordered world is this idea of transcending, this idea of escape. Um, when you when you think of Buddhism, Buddhism, the height of Buddhism is the Buddhist sitting under the tree coming to enlightenment and transcending this world, right? That's escape. That's not dealing with bringing order to the world. It's escaping this world. Or have you ever heard somebody say after a long, hard week of struggle and work, say something like, I need a stiff drink, right? Alcohol becomes a coping mechanism for avoiding the present condition. Are you with me? Or, or maybe it's the right to die act, right? Avoid suffering at all costs. Avoid the condition and escape it, transcend it. Or maybe we see this play out in our relationships. When we don't like the order of our relationships, when we don't like the way it's going, whether it's with a friend or a spouse, we leave. We avoid it. We pretend it doesn't exist. We do this with churches, right? Churches as a body of Christ, we're not perfect. We make mistakes. And one of the things I see that happens in the church is somebody gets upset because somebody does something. And rather than Matthew 18 and go to their brother and sister, it's easier to avoid it. It's easier just to leave. This is even creeped into Christianity, right? Like there's, there's actually, um, there was a predominant popular uh, books, a series of books written about Christians being taken up and escaping this world. And so one of the ways that we tend to deal with the disorder and the chaos is to want to leave it and escape it. But is that is that the way of Jesus? Is that what Jesus does? In verse 14, it says this, the word, remember the word is the universal law and order. The word became flesh and the flesh made his dwelling 
among us. So what it's saying is the universal law and order that we all seek, that we all want became flesh. That is Jesus. And one of the reasons why Jesus is so revolutionary is because we have distorted the order or garden and Jesus's desire is to set it back to rights. We have plant. It's like we've planted corn in the middle of our almond crop, right? If if you're a farmer, you understand that 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 would be chaos. You would destroy your irrigation. You, you wouldn't produce as much. It would be a mess, right? But but we kind of have that. We have like corn planted in the almond crop, or we have musicians playing in two different keys, playing two different songs at two different tempos. Now, some of you might say, well, that's just 20th century music, and, and you'd be right, and people have tried it, and people have said it's art, but there's a reason why not very many people listen to it, right? But it, it's, it's, it's distorted. Or we have businesses not dealing honestly with consumers and taking advantage of people. So how is it that Jesus orders his garden? How is it that Jesus brings order? And, and I want us to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 36. And every time I read this, I'm always challenged. Because it's not the way that I want to order my life. It's not the way that I usually want to go about doing things. Matthew chapter 5, starting verse 38. It says this. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Right. The, when I read these words, these aren't my natural response. When somebody steals from me, my natural response isn't, well, maybe I should just give them even more. Maybe, maybe I should just let them have it. If somebody hits me, my, my inclination is to fight back. In Jesus' day, it would, wouldn't be uncommon for a Roman soldier to come up to a Jew and and ask the Jew to carry with them, carry their gear um, for a, a certain distance. And so you can imagine among Jews, their thinking is like, how do we get out of this? How do we avoid having to carry these Roman soldiers gear? This is not fair. It's not right. And so I imagine they want Jesus to say, all right, this is the words you say. This is what you do. Here's the magic password, and they won't make you do it. But instead, Jesus says, you know what? When somebody comes up to you and says, hey, carry my stuff, you go with them. But, but then once you reach that first point, you say, hey, you know what? What if we just kept going? What, what, what if we just kept going? I, I'm burning a lot of calories. This is good for me, getting some exercise. I'll carry your stuff a second mile. 
See, that's not the way that we want to order our garden. We we want to build up walls. We want to build up protection. We we want to we want to live safe, and we wanna we want to distance ourselves from those who want to hurt us. But the way that Jesus orders his garden is completely different. And what I find so fascinating about Jesus, and why what I find so compelling is Jesus is much more interested in engaging this world and not transcending this world, right? Jesus isn't about escape, but he's about engagement. Scripture and Jesus seem much more interested in this life and does not disconnect it from eternity. So get this, what Jesus is doing in the present is also promised in the future, I'll say that again. What Jesus is doing in the present is what is also promised in the future. And what he is promising for the future, he is also doing in the present. You know, what we do right here matters in eternity because we're living it. Right? Don't we often think, well, eternity starts, you know, when I die? Well, no, in fact, you're living in the midst of eternity. And Jesus is much more concerned, what are you doing in the presence, in the present of eternity, rather than thinking about the future of eternity? Because what Jesus is calling his followers to do is to order their lives in the present, because that's the way things are going to be ordered in the future. N.T. Wright, he writes this, What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbor as yourself will last into God's future. Do you realize the work being done right now in the present is part of God's future? Living the way of Jesus in the present isn't to get you to heaven, but it's part of heaven in the present. Jesus is much more interested in the way we organize and order our gardens, order our lives in the present because it matters in eternity. Jesus isn't about transcending this world, escaping it, but he's engaging it in the present. Skip over to John chapter 20. And I want us to see this. And I love, the book of John is one of my, my favorite gospels. I love the way John writes. I love what he does here. And I want us to see something. John chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Jesus, he's been crucified. He's been put into the tomb and Mary comes to the tomb and finds that Jesus is not there. John chapter 20, verse 11 says this. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? 
who is it you are looking for? Now get this. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. I love what John is doing here in this text. Right? Mary thinks he's the gardener. Now, in in some ways she's wrong, but in a lot of ways she is also right. Right? Because he's not the gardener, but Jesus is the gardener. Jesus is the one who brings order to the world. Jesus is the one who brings order to chaos. He is the universal law in which all things are ordered. He is the gardener. We all have things that we are tending to. There are, all, there are many things that we in our lives are trying to bring order to. right? We have family and kids and cleaning houses and that annoying kitchen drawer that seems to be like the place where everything collects. You know what I mean? There's work and what we produce and relationships. And the question is, is do we try to order the world on our own terms or do we order the world in the way of Jesus? Because he is the one who puts all things to rights. And it's only in through relationship with Christ, it's only through Jesus that we can live and work in this world and bring order. It's only through Jesus. So when I read these statistics that that people are less than thrilled with institutional religion, when they're less than thrilled with the church, I wonder if it's because we as the church are not ordering our lives around that of Jesus. I wonder if Jesus really is the center to our whole being because jesus is the universal law and order in which all mankind seeks and i believe that when people see the church being the church doing the things that god has called them to do bringing order um, bringing peace in situations that we as the church because of jesus are the most compelling force on this planet Because we have a message that isn't about transcending and leaving this place, but it's engaging this world because it matters for eternity. It's part of God's future. The gardens you tend, the order in which you bring, are meant to be a foretaste of heaven and are part of God's good world. We live in a world in desperate need of Jesus because it's only through Jesus in which we have order. It's only through relationship with Christ when our lives begin to take shape. 
when we can bring order to the chaos because of our relationship through Christ. I choose Jesus because he engages the very world I live in in the present. He's not worried about me going off somewhere, but he cares about my life right here, right now, and the way I order it. Order it. And Jesus cares about this world. May you go and order your life around the universal law and principle in which orders this world in Jesus Christ. Have a blessed week.